recording start streaming hopefully the audio won't be too big of an issue uh here but um i should be broadcasting on our facebook group as well now so um i'm praying this all works smoothly actually good morning family good morning good morning y'all so good to see you guys so good to see each and every one of you um i got my ig rolling so uh tiktok fam good to see you ig fam good to see you um facebook fam good to see you i got um testing out youtube it's my first time running it so this is a little bit different so good to see y'all as well if you ever catch that i don't know exactly what i'm gonna do with it yet but i put it on just to see what happens see see what happens you know it's friday it's friday so um we've got a little bit of liberality to try some different things i'm just gonna be straight up honest with you i'm gonna be straight up with you guys not only am i testing out a new platform here and it's part of the reason why i am motivated to do this session today but in part as well um your your boy is tired so um just pray for me that i have the grace to get through this one uh today now if you are here for the first time and you're wondering what is it that we do here um it's simply this it's simply uh, the purpose, our purpose coming together this morning for whoever's watching is to see you read through the entire scripture. I, I want you to read and journey with me through the entire scripture. Um, we spend 20, 30 minutes every weekday, 20, 30 minutes every weekday. That's half a Netflix episode, y'all. Um, half a Netflix episode every weekday reading through the scripture. And then after that, I rant. And basically what the rant is, is just me just sharing and reflecting what the Lord is revealing to me, um, what, what the Lord is speaking into uh, for this particular moment in this particular time. One of the things that I'm beginning to realize, and maybe some of you guys are beginning to notice that as well, is that this is profoundly changing the way that you look at scripture. It's profoundly changing the way that you read the Bible. And if that's the case, then that in and of itself is a W for me, because that's what I want to see. I want to see people transformed by the word. I want to see people transformed by the scriptures. And so um, if that's you and you say, hey, man, this has really changed just the way I see the scriptures in totality, then my brother, my sister, uh, that's why I'm here. That's why I do this. Um, I'm using a new platform today. So if you guys see me kind of bouncing around, it's, I'm, I'm trying different things. I'm trying to run uh, different platforms to see if we can run everything in one place. Um, at least starting to run more of these uh, sessions in one place. I don't know what's going to happen. But we're just going to trust the Lord through this. But the Lord has been speaking to it. I also want to say this, that if this is your first time, you're like, man, I should have been here from the gate. You know, we're just reading through the Bible and we're talking about it. We're just going to rant about the Bible, read through the Bible and rant. Um, and you're wondering, OK, how do I get back into this? Well, you can get into this simply by checking out our Read and Rant podcast. Over 2000 of you guys have already subscribed to it, which which is incredible to me that I've got 2000 of you who said, hey, this I want to be a part of this and I want to journey in this. That's what I'm using, Mike. I'm using Restream. Um, so, so I, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing with it. We'll see how it goes. Um, as a matter of fact, for those of you who are on Facebook, if you are on Facebook, let me throw this out there. Um, there's a button in our Facebook group. For those of you who are in our Facebook group, you can catch all the reading rants on Facebook, by the way. But if you are in our Facebook groups, I, I see some of you guys are messaging right now. Um, 
I can I can see your messages, but I can't see who's sending them. All you have to do is uh, click the restream link that you see that I posted in the Facebook group, and basically it's just a quick quick setup, and it allows me to see your names so that I don't just see Facebook user. Because right now, all I see is Facebook user. I see, so thankful that the Lord has led me to you. The reading rant is awesome. And honestly, how I understand, oh, shoot, <laughs> change the way I see my Savior. Praise God. I'm encouraged by that. Change the way I see my Savior. And honestly, how I understand the Holy Spirit. That is incredible. If I can, if I can change your perspective on Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Bible, because the Bible has often been mistaught. It's been, um, it's been misappropriated. And so, and so I pray that this time would be an encouragement to you. So, um, if it is a blessing to you, I listen, I'm, I'm so encouraged by that. Um, today we're going to get through Deuteronomy. We are finishing the Pentateuch. We're finishing the Torah, the, f- the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And I am grateful. I've heard all the stories about how this has changed the way you read the Bible. Um, and it's been liberating to you. So for that reason alone, I'm encouraged by that. Uh, but yeah, if you click the restream link, um, hey, good morning, Ellison. Good morning, Izzy. Good to see you guys. Uh, if you click the restream link, you'll be able to, I'll be able to see your names, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but yeah, so let's get right to it. We close with Deuteronomy 29. Today, I want to read through. Um, I don't, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how, you know, how much energy I have today for our rant. So just pray for me through that. I'm just, I'm incredibly tired, but uh, the Holy Spirit has a way of doing what he wills and desires in our time together. So we'll just see where the Lord leads. Um, but I'm going to read and then let the Lord have his way. So Deuteronomy 30, and I'm going to pray. And this is what I want you to do as you read through the scriptures. I want you to pray through these three questions. What is the Lord revealing concerning himself? As you're prayerfully reading, as you're reading the scripture, ask God, what are you revealing concerning you? The second question is, is what is God revealing concerning people? And the third question is, what is God revealing concerning me? These are the three questions that I want to motivate you with as you engage with the scriptures today. So let's get into it. Let's run. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would speak uh, to me, speak through me. Lord, even in a time where (laughs) I'm physically exhausted, um, Lord, maybe even mentally, slightly mentally exhausted. Um, Lord, that you would give me strength and that you would just pour into me in this time. Lord, I ask that you would give me the grace, Lord, to get a refreshing from you in my time in your word. Um, Not for any other reason, but because, Lord, I glorify you and I lift you up. And I say that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Let's do it. Let's dig in. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. Now it shall come to pass when these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, and the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity 
and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord has scattered you. If any of you are driven out from the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Hmm. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Also, the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecute you. <clears throat> and you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will, will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoices over or rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of law, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good death and evil that I command you today to love the Lord your God to walk in his ways to, and to keep his commandments his statutes his judgments that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you possess but if your heart turns away that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him for he is your life and the length of your days that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. Hmm. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over the Jordan. The Lord, your God himself, crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord said. And the Lord will do them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, their land, and he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you, that you may do to them according to every commandment which I commanded you. Be strong and of good courage, 
Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you, nor will he forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of Israel, Be strong and of good courage. For you must go with his people to the land which the Lord swore to their fathers to give them. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them saying, at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear that sorry, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God, and carefully observe all the words of this law, that their children who have not known it may hear to learn the fear, to learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days are approaching when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud and in, a, and in the pillar of cloud stood before the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, you will rest with your fathers. And this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land. that They may go to be among them and they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day and I will forsake them and I will hide my face from them and they shall be devoured and many evils and troubles shall befall them so that they will say in that day. Have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day because of the evil which they have done. Oh, goodness. And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they have done and that they have turned to other gods. Now, therefore, write this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel Put it in their mouths. Wow. Wow. Sorry. Let me go ahead and reread that. Something that just came to my mind. Now, therefore, write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. When I brought them to, to the land flowing with milk and honey of which I swore to their fathers and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat then they will turn to other gods and serve them and they will provoke me and break my covenant then it shall be when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this song will testify against them as a witness for it will be forgotten in, their, in the mouths of their descendants for I know the inclination of their behavior to date 
even before I brought them to the land which I swore to them. Therefore, Moses wrote the song that day. Sorry. Therefore, wrote, uh, Moses wrote the song that same day and taught it to the children of Israel. He then inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you. So it was when Moses had completed writing the words of this law in a book, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites, who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. For I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more before my death? Sorry, how much more after my death? Gather to me all the elders of your tribe of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their hearing and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you and evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord and provoke him to anger through the work of your hands." Then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. Give ear, O heaven, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as rain drops on the tender herb and as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. We have corrupted ourselves. They are not his children. Because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation, do thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people. Is he not your father who brought you has he not made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations as your father, and he will show you, your elders, and he will tell you when the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in a wasteland, a howling wilderness encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them up on its wings. So the Lord alone led him and there was no foreign God with him. He made him ride the heights of the earth that he might eat the produce of the field. He made him draw the honey from the rock and the oil from the flinty rock. Curds from the cattle and milk of the flock with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats with the choicest wheat. And you drank wine, 
the blood of the grapes. But Jeshurun grew fat and, and kicked. You grew fat. You grew thick. You are obese. And he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God. To gods they did not know. To new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not hear, did not fear. Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. And then when the Lord saw it, he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. They have provoked me to jealousy, but what is not God? They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols, but I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation, for fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn to the lowest hell. It shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap disasters upon them. I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger, devoured by pestilence and bitter destruction. I will send against them the teeth of beasts with the poison of serpents of the dust. The sword shall destroy outside. There shall be terror within for the young man and virgin, the nursing child with the man of gray hair. I would have said, I will dash them in pieces. I will make the memory of them to cease from among men. Had I not feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, our hand is high and it is not the Lord who has done all this. For they are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How could one chase a thousand and two put 10,000 to flight unless their rock has sold them and the Lord has surrendered them? For their rock is not like our rock, for our enemies themselves being judges, for their vine is the vine of Sodom, and the fields, the fields of Gomorrah, their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of cobras. Is this not laid upon, up in store with me, sealed up among my treasures? Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand. And the things to come hasten upon them. For the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is no one remaining, bond or free. He will say, Where are their gods? The rock in which they sought refuge. Who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise and help you and be your refuge. Now see that I, even I, am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. 
For I raise my hand to heaven, and I say, as I live forever, if I wet my glittering sword, and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies. I'll repay those who hate me. I will make arrows drink with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh. But the blood of the slain and the captives from the hands, from the heads of the leaders of the army, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. I will provide atonement for his land and his people. So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all these words in, of this song in the hearing of the people. Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel, and he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful and to observe all the words of the law. For it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life. And by this word, you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. Verse 48. And the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up to this mountain of Abiram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, across from Jericho. View the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel as a possession, and die on the mountain which you, which you ascend, and be gathered to your people, just as Aaron your brother died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people, because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not hallow me in the midst of the children of Israel. You shall see the land before you, though you shall not go there into the land which I am giving to the children of Israel. Um, we hit 8.30, debating, should I just finish these last chapters? I'm going to hold. We're going to finish Deuteronomy. We're going to finish Deuteronomy um, next uh on Monday. So even though we we don't read tomorrow, but we're going to finish it on Monday. And we're going to stop right here. Um, man, I'm tempted to finish it. I'm tempted. <laughs> um, uh, you know what? I'm going to read it. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm going to read it. Let's read it. And let's just finish out Deuteronomy. We're going to start on Monday in the book of Joshua. So let's just read all the way through. Um, let's do it. So Deuteronomy 33, verse 1. Now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came with ten thousands of saints. From his right hand came a fiery law for them. Yes, he loves the people, all his saints that are in your land. Sorry. I think just skipped. Sorry. Uh, verse three. Yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. Moses commanded a law for us, a heritage of the congregation of Jacob. 
and he was king in Jeshurun. When the leaders of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together, let Reuben live and not die, nor let this man be few. And this he said of Judah, hear Lord, the voice of Judah, bring him to his people, his hands be sufficient for him, and you may be a help against his enemies. And of Levi, he said, let your Thummim and your Urim be your Holy One, whom you tested at Massah, and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah. Who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. And you shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. You shall put incense upon you and a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the work of his hands. Strike the loins of those who rise against him and those who hate him, that they not rise again. Of Benjamin, he said, the beloved of the Lord, who dwell in safety by him, who shelters him all the day long. And he shall dwell between his shoulders. And Joseph said, Blessed of the Lord in his land, with the precious things of heaven, with the dew, and the dying and the deep lying beneath, with the precious fruits of the sun, and with the precious produce of the months, with the best things of the ancient mountains, and the precious things of the everlasting hills, with the precious things of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush, that the blessing come on the hand of Joseph, and on the crown of the head of him who separated from his brothers. His glory is like the firstborn bull, and his sons like horns of a wild ox together with them. He shall push the peoples to the ends of the earth. They are ten thousands of Ephraim, and they are thousands of Manasseh. And Zebulun, he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and Issachar in your tents. They shall call the people to the mountains. They There they shall offer sacrifices of righteousness, for they shall partake of the abundance of the seas and the treasures hidden in the sand. And of Gad, he said, Blessed is he who enlarges Gad, he who dwells as a lion and tears the arm and the crown of his head. He provides the first part for himself because a lawgiver's portion was reserved there and came with the heads of the people. He administered the justice of the Lord and his judgments with Israel. And of Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's whelp. He shall leap from Bashan. And Naphtali, he said, O Naphtali, satisfied with favor and full of blessing of the Lord, possess the west and the south. And of Asher, he said, Asher is most blessed of sons. Let him be favored by his brothers and let him dip his foot in oil. Your sandals shall be iron and bronze as your days. So shall your strength be. There's no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to help you and in his excellency on the clouds. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and I will say, destroy. And Israel shall dwell in safety, the fountain of Jacob alone. In the land of grain and new wine, his heaven shall 
also dropped due. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you and you shall tread down their high places. Last chapter, chapter 34. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south, and the plain of the valley of Jericho, a city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Hmm. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of spirit, full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. But since then, there has not risen in Israel a prophet like Moses, who knew the Lord face to face in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants, and in all his land, and by all that mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. That concludes the book of Deuteronomy. Um, I want to say a few things. I want to say a few things. Um, there's a lot that I can share here. We are chronicling the the twilight of the life of one of the most esteemed characters in the Bible. Um, Moses is one of the most esteemed characters in the Bible. And what I find uh, particularly interesting is that what we'll notice throughout Moses' life is that his life was very much ordained by God. His life was very much ordained by God. Why do I say that? I say that because Moses' story is not the story of a person who you would have known it ended in this way. To be a man so esteemed. Moses was a an Egyptian, he was among the Egyptian elite. 
Moses grew up as an adopted child to Pharaoh's daughter. And Moses lived in the temple, got to enjoy the temple. He was very much steeped into Egyptian culture and Egyptian life. Moses was in, it was very much a culturally Egyptian man. He grew up Egyptian. We know that because as a baby, he came into Pharaoh's palace among the elite family at near his birth, so much so that he needed to be nursed. <laughs> um, so Moses was uh, very much culturally Egyptian. You would have never expected for Moses to start off culturally among the Egyptian elite to now ending as a Hebrew prophet. It's a very interesting story because how he starts is not how he ended. Moses was uniquely called to lead a people from one context to another, from one place to another. Moses is a key player in the grand narrative, in the grand story of God and his people. Because as I've told you before, as we've been reading through the Pentateuch, God is writing a story of humanity. And he's doing in the backbone of that story, the, the bridge of that story, the, 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 the story in which all the stories shoot out of is the story of the Hebrew people. You're going to find it interesting if you um, spend time really to study, you know, anthropological history and archaeology, you're going to find how these Hebrew people seemed to touch culture and society all throughout history, all throughout history. Like they were, they, they touched everything. Shout out to Harry Cox. There you go. <laughs> um, to, so, so to every dimension of history, I knew what you're trying to do. That's why I did it. Um, and, and so it's important there, right? For us to see how the children of Israel are touching everything. They're touching everything. Every story of humanity, they're touching. Every story of humanity, they're touching. Every story of humanity, they're touching. We see, we, we see the story of the Roman Empire and the Hebrew people are very key players in that. And yet they're such a small people. They don't have economic power. They don't have economic wealth. They don't have economic influence. When we study North African history and the wealth of the Egyptians, somehow the Hebrew people are still playing a part in that story. Did you see that? Playing a part in that story. And so we go all the way throughout and we see how, how the Hebrew Israelite people are touching European history, Asian history, African history. These people are the glue that binds the history of all humanity. Are y'all with me so far? These people 
are the glue that bind the history of all humanity. And yet that was God's intention from the beginning. God was in the business of restoring humanity. God was in the business of restoring humanity. Let me me, me explain to you how. Adam and Eve were called to be fruitful, to multiply the earth, to fill the earth and and subdue it. Subduing it, the word there is to, to literally to rule over it. He gave mankind rule over the earth. He gave, ready for this terminology, dominion. He gave mankind dominion over the earth. He told him to fill the earth and subdue it and let him have dominion. God called men to rule the earth. He's ruling the earth under God's authority. Mankind, humanity, pay very close attention to this, humanity has been given authority to rule, but humanity rules as ambassadors of God. God is not enacting anything on the earth without human participation because God gave man dominion over the earth. Notice that if there's any fracture that's happening on the earth right now, it's primarily due to human participation. It is anything going on on the earth right now that's of that's that's of any kind of rift. It's due to human participation. We talk about um um we talk about what is it um ah goodness um um pollution. My brain is not all here. I'm tired, guys. We talk about pollution. Pollution is not a polar bear issue. Pollution is not a tiger issue. Pollution is actually a human issue, (laughs) right? Um, When we talk about uh, the issues that are going on right now, population density and and, and macroeconomies, these are human issues. Mankind was given dominion over the earth. I say that because what God wanted to do from the beginning was to rule the earth. He wanted to rule the earth. He desired to subdue it. Man was God's ambassadors on earth. The moment that man went on his own agenda over God's agenda, there was a separation in authority and power and rule. Now the earth was cursed. Initially, the earth was blessed, and now the earth was cursed. This is going back to what I was saying to you yesterday, that the earth was cursed. Now, There are difficulties. Now there are challenges on the earth. Now there's disease. Now there's sickness. Now there's all these things as a result of that. What is the purpose of humanity? What is the purpose of humanity? The human purpose is to rule the earth under God's authority. In all things you do, do it for what? The glory of God. That is the human purpose. Notice, the human purpose is not to live his best life. Did you hear me? The human purpose is not to find a wife and make money. And that's not the human purpose. 
the human purpose is not um, all the things that they tell you that the human purpose is. The human purpose is to literally to be ambassadors of God. That's the human purpose. So would it be odd then that when the human purpose isn't fulfilled, that the human himself finds unfulfillment? Have you ever noticed, um, I've joked about it, but it's, it's a very serious thing. Have you ever noticed that dogs don't ask about what their purpose in life is? Have you ever noticed that like, you don't see a cat going, man, what's my calling? You don't see a cat depressed about the fact that they don't know what their purpose is in life. Right? When's the last time you saw a beaver pondering about what he or she is called to do? When's the last time you saw a pigeon on the street going, man, you know what? I'm not even going to leave the nest today because I don't know what my purpose is. When's the last time you saw that? And yet there is a complexity in us. And there is a wisdom in us and a spirit in us that makes us realize that there's more to us than just making money. There's more to us than just getting married. There's more to us than just procreating. There's more to humanity than just living, surviving, eating, and drinking. There's more to us than these things. Are you catching me here? What I'm saying to you is, is there's a yearning within mankind. There's a yearning in the human being that there's gotta be more to life than just me eating, sleeping, breathing, waking up, going back to sleep. Oh, I get to have a vacation this time. And it is this lack of purpose that leads to our angst as a people, as humans. Ah, human, human. The word human literally means is what the word humus, which means dirt, spirit. It's spirit and dirt. <laughs> it's the spirit of God in dirt. That's why in Job chapter 32, when he says that there is a spirit in a man, the breath of the almighty, which gives him understanding, the inspiration of the Almighty, which gives him understanding. We see the distinction from the beginning in, G in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, when the scriptures tell us that he breathed into man and he became a living soul. The word soul there is nefesh. Can I, can I, can I give you a little bit of instruction here? You are not who you are because of your flesh. You're who you are as a binding of spirit and flesh. Can I say that one more time? It is not your intelligence that makes you 
a child of God. I'm just going to rant for a little bit, if you would allow me, and then I'm going to get to my point. I'm going to get to my point, and I hope, I hope you, you'll, you'll, you'll tolerate me today because today I'm just, I'm tired. So I'm just letting my, when I get tired sometimes, my brain just goes loose and I just say whatever is on my mind. That can be good and that can be bad at the same time. Um, I've heard people say that what makes human beings, um, the reason why we're, we, we, that the Bible says that we're made in the image of God is because we have the spirit of God, which means we have a higher level of intelligence. Because humans have a higher level of intelligence, they have been given the authority to rule. Here's the problem with that one. The problem with that type of reasoning is what about the child who has mental disabilities? What about the vegetable on the hospital bed? Is that person not made in the image of God? <laughs> um, we're not made in the image of God because we're smarter than every other animal. <laughs> right? The the person who has a, a mental disability, is that person not made in the image of God? I hope everybody understands that that person is made equally in the image of God with equal dignity and with equal value. So therefore, intelligence is not what makes you more valuable than someone else. Others say, well, it's because we have emotion and we have because God is emotional and because we have emotion, then we are made in the image of God. Here's the problem with that family. Aren't dogs emotional? Don't, don't, don't animals have emotion? You, you ever seen a dog cry? Dogs cry. <laughs> cats, cats cry. Okay. So intelligence doesn't mean or doesn't allow you to presume that you're made in the image of God and emotion because animals have emotions. Okay, anybody who says an animal doesn't have an emotion obviously doesn't own an animal. Okay? They express emotions. Okay? You ever had a moment where you leave and the dog begins to weep? They're animals that cats are diabolical. <laughs> I am not a cat person. So I, that's why I laugh. I'm not a cat person. Um, but they, 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 they definitely have emotion. Do animals have intelligence? Absolutely animals have intelligence. Does that mean that the animals are made in the image of God? No. So then intelligence is not what presumes that you, that you are made in the image of God. Intelligence and emotion is not what presumes you to be made in the image of God. And genetics don't either. Did you know that, that a chimpanzee has 98% of the DNA of human beings? There's only a 2% variation in DNA between a chimpanzee and a human being. 
Are you saying then that the difference of being made in the image of God is a 2% variation in DNA? I'll help you out there. The answer is no. (laughs) The answer is no. Intelligence doesn't presume that you're made in the image of God. DNA does not. Therefore, it's not about whether you're white, you're black. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are. None of those things matter. It is what we see in Genesis chapter 2. When the Lord breathed into him and he became a living soul, there was a distinction between God and the animals. The distinction, sorry, between humans and the animal. The distinction, ready for this? Here's where we kind of, I'm going to push back here because I know a lot of you are thinking right now. Yes, it's that we have a spirit. Yes, that is a distinction. But the distinction is is that God put his spirit into the man. I want you to stay with me here. He put his spirit into the man. He put his ruah into the man. It is the ruah that made him a living nefesh. I don't want to go into full, like full-blown Bible study here. Okay, Uh, because then, you know, and and maybe I have to do a Bible study on this as well, because people go, well, living soul, living soul, because we have a soul or or a spirit soul. What does that even mean? We have to define that. And I find that people have a very small perspective of what the soul is, because even the scriptures refer to animals having nefesh. (gasps) Wait, what? Yes. I can go through scripture. If we read the Hebrew, you're going to see that it says that the animals have nefesh. So it's not that the animals don't have spirit. <laughs> and I'll eventually do a Bible study on that, but we see it through the scriptures. It's not that we don't have spirit or that they have spirit. It's that we have his spirit. Pay very close attention here. There is a spirit in a man. What is that spirit? As Job says, he says, it is the breath of the almighty that gives him understanding. Understanding what? The will of God. Therefore, the distinction between Mankind and everything else that is created is that God put his spirit in man. (laughs) Animals do not deal with morality. A dog does not deal with what's morally right or wrong. A dog deals with what is naturally right or wrong. A dog's morality is based off of instinct and environment. Human morality is much bigger. Dogs will eat their own children. 
because their morality is based off of instinct and environment. They have genetic coding. Again, all written by God. (laughs) Human beings have something way bigger than genetics. There is a spirit in a man, the breath of the Almighty, that gives him understanding. Okay, for those who breed dogs, they know that you've got to be very careful and mindful because just a few days after a mother gives birth to her, her children, the mother could just eat one of the baby dogs, one of the pups. And people are still trying to get to understand why dogs do this. Well, we won't fully, fully understand it. But there's something genetically coded in the dog that makes the dog do that. The dog could sense a disease in the animal. The dog could sense that there, whatever it is, there's something that makes the dog choose to do that. That we have, we're yet still figuring out and working through. Science is helping understand that. Science cannot explain morality. Let me say that one more time. I'm ranting here, but I'm going to get to my point. Science cannot explain morality. Science cannot tell you what's right and wrong. Okay? I have immoral cats. (laughs) It's even hard when you think about it to call an animal immoral. Right? Like, think about it. Like, how can the animal be immoral? The animal knows no morality. The animal cannot be moral or immoral. It doesn't even fit within the framework of the existence of the animal. We have the Ruach Nefesh. We have the Ruach, which is the Spirit of God, which is the breath of the Almighty, which gives us understanding, meaning we don't need, and I'm going to back this up for a moment. You do not need to be a Christian to be moral. You do not need to be a Christian to be moral. Ready for this? You don't need to be a Christian to be a morally good person. There are people who want to become Christians to be moral, to learn how to be good moral people. Even atheists have the Ruah. <laughs> We all, we all sense when something isn't right and something isn't wrong and where does something is wrong. Where do we get that from? We get that from the morality of God, the righteousness of God. I've said this so many times and I'll say it again. We don't get to choose what laws we're under. Even if we choose to reject God, God's laws are final. God's laws are final. We don't get to choose what's right and wrong. We don't get to to submit. It's the same way when we talk about, you know, we were talking about gravity or magnetism. You don't get to choose to not be subject to magnetism or to be subject to gravity. Okay? You don't get to choose one day to say, you know what? I don't really like this oxygen thing. 
You know what? To hell with oxygen. Who needs oxygen anyway? I'm going to do my own thing. Sure, you can. You have the full right and the full power to do whatever you want to do. That's the thing. People talk about free will and the law of God. You have the free will to stop using oxygen. Okay? It doesn't stop the consequences of it. Because these are scientific laws that God has already written that have already been encoded and there's nothing you can do about it whether you like it or not. These are the laws. You don't get to choose one day and go, you know what? Forget this gravity thing. I'm just tired of gravity. It's the it's called the law of gravity because you're subject to it. If you're LeBron James, you have some strength to overcome that a little bit more than if your name is Isaac Frere. Okay? I can barely touch the net. Lord help me. But I don't get to choose one day and say, you know what? Today, forget gravity. I'm gonna dunk. Forget that. I'm dunking today. Who are who does gravity think they are to tell me what to do? Isn't it funny how people go, who does God think he is? You know, you're God. And again, this is just the, the 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 condescension that we all have. We all have this condescension because we all have the spirit that Adam had. Sin came into the world through Adam and we inherited Adam's personality. Adam and Eve wanted to be their own gods. They wanted to follow their own laws. I can want to, to I can choose to follow my own law. I could. I could go all in. I can go all in and I can go to the court and I can go wide open for a tomahawk dunk. I could go wide open for a tomahawk slam dunk jam and do it like I don't care about gravity because gravity don't matter. How do you think it's going to turn out for me? It's going to hurt. I'm going to hurt something doing it because I have built in me the morality of God. I have built in me, sorry, the, 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 the laws of science and nature. My body is subject to it. And when it comes to the laws of the spirit, I am subject to it. Whether I'm an atheist or not. Whether I choose to or not. I'm subject to it. And Adam felt it. And what's beautiful about it is that even though mankind falls, God came with a plan. Stand mankind back up. From the beginning, God came with a plan to stand him back up. But if he stands up, it doesn't mean that gravity still isn't there. Hmm. For many of us, we're looking to get up, but we're looking also for God to remove gravity. But if God removes gravity, if he removes his righteousness, his holiness, and his justice, then God can no longer be God. 
because it embodies who God is. You're asking God to not be God if God cannot maintain his righteousness and his justice. And yet God used his justice and his righteousness to bring restoration back to all of us. When the Lord breathed into man, he breathed his spirit, that is his morality, that is his justice, that is his law, that is who he is, he breathed it into man. And what the scriptures is about is how God brings us all back up. And that God does this through a people. Do you hear me? He does it through a people. And this is the backbone of the story. And this is Moses, who is a player in this story. Abraham. Abraham had faith. And the scriptures tell us that it was accounted to him for righteousness. God told Abraham, I'm going to rewrite the story of humanity through you. You will become the father of many nations. And through you, I'm going to restore all mankind back to me. And I'm going to restore, watch this, my rule on the earth through mankind. I'm paraphrasing here. Go back to the other reading rants. You'll catch it. You see, I'm restoring my rule on the earth through humanity because God is a God does not place himself above his word. If there's one thing God is subject to, it's his word. And because he gave mankind dominion, God's not going to do anything on the earth without man's participation because God would go against his word and he would go against himself. And so God, if he's going to restore his government on earth, watch this now, God's going to need to restore humans. I've said this before and I'll say it again and I'm going to come to Moses. Don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm only closing the chapter here because we're about to move into another, we're about to shift into another part of the scriptures. But I, I have to, I have to say this, that um, there are those who sometimes they'll say, God, thank you for delivering me and for helping me and for healing me and for restoring me. And there are people who, yes, that's your mindset. Thank you for restoring me. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for delivering me. God, I thank you. But I don't know why you would do something like that. Why would, why would God save you? Why would God restore you? Why would, why would he deliver you? Why would God come up with all this? Have I ever asked that question? Why did God feel it necessary to do all of this? Because God is a man of his word. God is saving you because he put his name on you. If God doesn't save you, then he brings his reputation to question. So God's saving you, watch this now, and God's delivering you is for God's glory. He's doing it. He says, he saves you up for his name's sake. God is saying, I put my name on you. And because I put my name on you, I have to save you. <laughs> Either that or I just let the earth destruct because I cannot do anything on the earth because I put my rule on the earth through humankind. Therefore, I must save humankind. 
And that's why he says that he does it for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Psalm 23, he does it for his name's sake. He does it because of his name. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. God put his name on you. And so God is restoring humanity, not not out of this selfless altruism, which God is selfishly altruistic, but God is doing it because his name is on you. His name is on humanity. And therefore, the, uh, what's the word? Oh my goodness. Uh, The destiny of the earth rests on humanity. This is where our participation with God comes in because once he breathed into man, he gave man his morality, he gave man his justice, he gave man his righteousness, he gave mankind all of it. He wrote it on mankind's heart and yet mankind sinned against him. And for that reason now, God for restoring the earth he created is now going to restore mankind. Because through restoring mankind, he restores the earth. I'm ranting. I know I'm ranting. But this is important for you to get. Because God is restoring us. And he's doing it through a family. And this book, this Bible that we read about, ready? Is the story of how God is doing that through this family. And through these people. And how God has accomplished it through this family. So as we're closing the Torah, I'm going to get to Moses here. I didn't think I had the energy, but here I am. As we're closing the Torah, as we're closing the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, I hope that what you have read and that you have seen now is the story of how God has called up a people to fulfill his righteousness and justice. Not how God is telling you how to be a good Christian. I hope now, when you read now, and now that you've read through it, because now there are those of you who've been reading through the whole thing with me. I hope, and please, please, if I, if I said something, because I know there are people who have said, this is false, I can't believe this. No, it's because you're inserting yourself in the text. And you're inserting your ideology into the text. You're inserting your doctrine into the text. And you're inserting your philosophy into the text. So if that's you, then I'm praying for you. But I'm asking for those of you who've emptied yourself and actually read the text for what it actually says. I hope what you're seeing is not a book that's telling you how to be a Christian, but rather a story of what God is doing through a people. I hope you have now been able to step back and realize that you have been given the opportunity to see the story of God and the people that he has set aside to bring the restoration to the whole world. I hope that when you read these five books, that you are reading five books that were not written to you but have eternal implications on your life. They weren't written to you, but they were written for you. I hope that when you read this 
and you saw all the laws that were in it and all the rules that were in it, you understood now that God was doing something in this letter to set these people aside, that they would be the ones who would be the nation of priests that would bring the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ to all. I hope you see that what God was doing is, is God was playing out a story of humanity and using these people and calling these people as actors that play the role in this story. I hope that when you read this, you didn't go, man, look at all these rules that the Bible's telling me to follow, but to now know that none of these rules ever applied to you. But rather, they were there to reveal the heart of God. Hmm. I hope you read a story about a people from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. These 12 sons go to Egypt. They fall under captivity in Egypt. The same family now. These 12 sons fall into captivity in Egypt. Then Moses enters into the story. And Moses now becomes the prophet who takes them out of Egypt, brings them into the wilderness. And into the wilderness, before they go to the land that was promised to them, they went to Mount Sinai. And there, God reinstituted the calling that he gave to Abraham about his children to say that these many children are going to bring the righteousness and justice of God, that my kingdom would be established again through humanity, but that it would be instituted through these people. It would be through these people that the seed would come from. And so now, watch this, he institutes the law to these people because he's telling these people, be holy for I am holy. He's setting them aside. Moses became the voice and the minister of this to these people. That's what, we're, that's what we're reading. That's what we've read. Then we go through Exodus, where the law was written. And after the law was written, the book of Exodus ends with them having the law, but not having the presence of God, because God wanted to reveal to his children that the law was never intended to bring them into his presence. The law was intended to set them apart so that the glory of God would be revealed through them. He was revealing even to us today that the law was never good enough to bring us into the presence of God. The Ten Commandments was never good enough. The, the, the Pentateuch was never good enough. The Mosaic laws were never good enough. The food laws were never good enough. The ceremonial laws were never good enough. And so because of all these laws and these laws, they left without being in the presence of God. Leviticus opens with Moses, who is the prophet, not being able to enter into the presence of God. Moses is living out an incredible story. And in that story, Moses now begins to seek the Lord. And what the Lord does is the Lord gives him a new law. Notice now, God is making amendments to the law that he gave them in Exodus, meaning the law was never set in stone. The law was meant to reveal his glory and to reveal his character and to reveal his heart. And so now he writes the law. And now with this law, he sees that they cannot enter into his presence because the very people who were given the law fell short of the glory of God. The people who had the law could even live up to the law and live up to the contract. And so Moses now comes back to God and God makes an amendment and God gives him a new law. This law is Leviticus and Leviticus, we learn the law 
of the sacrifice, the atonement, that now he institutes the office of the priest, the Levite, who would now be the mediator between the sinners and between God. And the priest now would be the one that would administer the sacrifice. And when the sacrifice would be administered, no matter how many times they broke the law, all they would have to do is bring the sacrifice. That's what he's revealing here. And that's what the book of Leviticus was all about. And Moses got to be a minister to that. Moses got to reveal that. Moses got to show the people that the law was never good enough for your salvation. The law was never good enough for you. The law was meant to set you apart. But even then I put in my law a way back into my presence because even though God is holy and righteous, he gave us a law that would allow us back into his presence. All that would be required is a priest and a sacrifice. You could not come to the presence of God, but a priest would be set aside who would come and that priest would then present the sacrifice. And in the moment that the priest presented the sacrifice, the sin was absolved. And these very people who now were sinners, who continually made mistakes over and over again, had now a way of getting back into the presence of God. This is for anybody who's here, who has not read through the Pentateuch, that God from the beginning knew that you would mess up. He knew that you would make mistakes and yet he gave you access back into his presence every time. God never makes it final the sins that you've committed against him, that even though the people sinned against him, he gave Leviticus an access back in. Notice it didn't say how many times they sinned. They continue to sin over and over again, and they continue to bring the sacrifice over and over again because they were given access to the presence of God through the law. That means then the law has life in it that the law gave them access back to God. And through Leviticus now, we see Leviticus ends with them now having the presence of God. They started off not being able to enter into the presence of God. Leviticus ends with them, with Moses being able to enter into the presence of God. Then we go into Numbers and they go on this road trip. And on this road trip, they're finally going to the promised land because here's one thing they knew. They knew that if they're gonna go to the land that was promised to them, they better go with the presence of God. They said, even at Mount Sinai, that if your presence does not go with us, we will stay right here. And that's exactly what they did. In Leviticus, they never moved until they had the presence of God again. And when they had the presence of God, then they got to moving again. Then when they began to move to the land that was promised to them, they made, they had disagreements. There were dissensions among them. Why? Because even though they had the law and even though they had the atonement, they still were human beings who still need to learn how to be with each other and to learn to trust in the promises of God. However, that generation did not trust God. That generation did not have faith in God. So as a result of that, God said they're going to stay here and allow the next generation to go in. And so now we get to the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy now, they have been, the next generation now, have been given the law. Moses is giving them everything. He's giving them what they were given at Mount Sinai. He, was, he gave them everything that they were given along the road. And now he's giving them that and then some. Why? Because the law was never written in stone. That the law was meant to reveal the heart and the character of God. And Moses has been given the privilege to minister and to lead these people through this. Through all the frustrations, through all the dissension, through all the disagreement. Even then, God's grace was still sufficient for them. We 
we see the grace of God all through this. They get to the river Jordan and they're about to go into the land that is promised to them. And God is saying, before you go into that land, I need to give you a few more laws because I need you to learn how to rule in the land that I give you in the way that I wanted Adam to rule. You see, I put my spirit on Adam and I had put my spirit, I put my spirit on Adam, but Adam sinned and has separated from me. So now I have to put it on paper because it cannot be written on your heart yet. Watch this now. He says, I got to write it on stone because it cannot be written on your heart yet. Something needs to happen before that law is written on your heart. But for now, I'm going to write it on stone so you know exactly how I want you to live when you go into the land that was promised. Moses had the privilege of being the man who would lead the people from captivity all the way to their place of breakthrough. And now they're entering into the land. And in the end, this is what Moses says to them. He says to them, I've lived with y'all for long enough. I've lived with you guys for long enough. I've, I've seen the way you move. You're stiff necked people. You continually disobey. And I've spoken the blessings and the curse that will happen to you when you go into this land because it's still the law. If you disobey God, heaven's not your issue, earth is. <laughs> when you disobey his law, you're gonna fall into sickness. You're gonna fall into disease. Abortions exist because of the law. The scriptures tell us, Paul says this, the strength of sin is the law. If there was no gravity, I wouldn't get hurt trying to dunk. But because there is gravity, dunking is going to hurt my body. So because of the law, sin has power. Guys, that's that's 1 Corinthians 15. So you can go back and, and read that when you get a chance. It's 1 Corinthians 15. The strength of sin is the law. That means that the law was never meant to save you. It was meant to tell you what's going to happen to you. But the law wasn't intended for you to follow. Because in the end, we see what Moses says to them. He says to them, you're stiff necked and you're still going to disobey this law. You're going to fall short. You're going to fall into captivity. That's what he tells them. He says, you're going to fall into captivity. You're going to do all these things. But then he says something really powerful. He says something really powerful. He says, I'm 120 years old today, Deuteronomy 31. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, as the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over the Jordan. And I'm going to get to Moses in a second. He says, be strong and of good courage. Do not be, do not fear or be afraid for the Lord your God. He goes with you. Why? Even though you sinned, you still have the atonement. With the atonement, you can go in. Do not fear or do not be dismayed. You have the atonement. You don't need to worry. You have the atonement. 
Then he says in verse 12, gather the, gather the people together, men and women, and the little ones and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe the words. Watch this now. In verse 16, he says, verse 16, now he predicts that they will still keep rebelling. And, he says, and the Lord God said to Moses, verse 16, behold, you will rest with your fathers and this people will rise and play the harlot. He's telling them already what's going to happen. He says, you, you're still going to play the harlot even when you had the law, even when you know all these things, even when you have the atonement with the gods of the foreigners of the land where they go to be among them and they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I made them. He's telling them what's going to happen. And in verse 21, he's telling them the consequences. Then it shall be when many evils and troubles have come upon them, because that's what happens. Evil and trouble will come upon you when it comes upon them that this song will testify against them as a witness. They'll be reminded of the things that he's saying here. He's about to write the song. For I know your rebellion and your stiff neck today. Verse 27 there. For I know your rebellion and your stiff neck today. If today, while I'm yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more will you be after my death? Moses knows that these people are going to continue to sin against them. And yet in verse 9, he gives them a word of encouragement. In Deuteronomy 32, he says, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance this is for anybody who's here today who needs to hear this and maybe it's just because i'm tired that i'm just full-blown ranting i should have got off by now but somebody who needs to hear this the lord's portion is his people he's telling the children of israel you are my portion he's telling the children of israel you are my portion. He's saying, you are important to me. This is the blessing that the children of Israel have inherited. They have inherited God. God is saying, you are my portion. Imagine you are a people and you know, and you can walk in the confidence to know that this is, this is what they got to enjoy as a people. They got to enjoy God. But to know that I am God's portion. No matter how much we mess up and fall short, no matter how much we are important to God. He says, you are my portion. You are my people. God has set them aside. As often as they fail, he sets them aside. This is just, I know we don't get a chance because we read this already. But this inheritance that these children had, we now have by our faith in Jesus Christ. I'm cheating today. I'm cheating today because I'm going to, I, I could go to verses, but I'm, I'm, I'm out of time. I got to go. But I, I would jump to that verse in Romans that says, now we get to inherit the same blessings that these children got to inherit 
we actually have something better than they do. Because they had a sacrifice that they had to sacrifice over and over again. Over and over again. And yet we have a sacrifice who once and for all has sacrificed himself and now has given us access to the same inheritance that they are, that they have. Ephesians chapter two, sorry, Ephesians chapter one, read that as well. To know what they inherited, we get to inherit. We are the Lord's portion. Y'all, we're God's portion. (laughs) Moses is dying. This is the end for him. Moses gets to journey from the beginning of this. He was there from the beginning and now he gets to the end. And I've always thought to myself, man, if only Moses got to at least touch that land to at least know and to feel and to experience all those things he fought for for all those decades with these people. And there's the part of me that that wrestles with the fact that it's because of the trespass, one mistake that he made that he didn't get into the land. But I realize that God fulfilled his portion in Moses. He fulfilled the call in Moses. Moses did not live for the land. Moses lived to fulfill God's calling on his life. God could have let Moses die a long time ago. The man is 120 years old. I could presume and only surmise that this man was frail He was probably weak. Probably wasn't very strong in stature. Yet this man kept on living. He kept on living. Why? Because his call wasn't to go to the promised land. His call was to lead the children to the promised land. And there's a peace and a rest here that Moses has done and fulfilled what he was called to do. He did what he was called to do. He sends Joshua to go on his behalf. He's fulfilled his calling. A long time, I, long time, I, I'm going to get there. A long time ago, I used to be really, really frustrated with that part of the text because I'd be like, God, I don't get it. How? And I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Because I know I've been, I know I got you guys hostage. I'm holding you guys hostage, but I'm done, I'm done. But I, I used to wrestle with this in prayer. This is a long time ago. When I first read this story and I began to see the revelation of what's happening throughout the, the Torah. And I got to the end of the Torah and I'm reading it. And I'm going, God, why would you do this? Like Moses gave up so much. He sacrificed his life. He sacrificed everything. He even defended these people who kept sinning against you. They kept sinning. They kept sinning against you. They kept com- and, and yet you kept forgiving them. 
And yet Moses? Because of a because he struck a rock? Why? Why would you do that, God? Like what? And I remember God slapping me and saying to me, Isaac, relax yourself. Moses got his inheritance because I was his just reward. Moses, Moses got his reward. It was the peace to know that he fulfilled what he was called to do. Moses got his reward. He took them right where he needed them to be. And Moses needed to leave in that time because Joshua needed to lead. The reward wasn't the promised land. The reward was the higher calling. The reward, watch this family. This is what the Lord had convicted me of. The reward, because it's easy to be depressed and go, man, Moses didn't make it, man. Moses didn't make it. This is, this is, man. You don't realize that the goal was never the promised land. The goal was the glory of God. And yet, if you can be glorified, then the promise can be fulfilled. What I love is that God always does things on his own terms. Moses fulfilled the calling of God because Moses submitted to the power and the authority of God. And in the end, Moses got to partake in the glory of God. How do we know that? If you recall, there was a time when Jesus was at the Mount of Olives. And there, Peter and the sons of Zebedee, this is in, I believe, in Matthew 24. I have to go back now. I'm sorry. Losing track. I'm tired, so stay with me. And Peter and the sons of Zebedee looked and they saw Jesus transfigured, literally glowing. He's they saw the divine embodiment of Jesus. Literally, the humanity of Jesus was peeled out. And the men saw Jesus in glory. And there they saw two men in Israel, in the promised land, in the land that was promised. They saw two prophets and among them was a man that you may have been familiar with throughout the last four chapters of this book that we've read. Moses was there. The difference was is that Moses got to enjoy the promised land not with frail bones, failing back, difficulty breathing, with the weight of his age on him. 
but Moses got to stand on the land that was promised in glory. He got to stand there next to the transfigured Jesus Christ, standing beside him in glory. Moses got something better than the children of Israel could have ever gotten. Moses had the promised land and Moses had Jesus. The children of Israel had the law. Moses had Jesus. And I say this to you guys, for those of you who are here, that there are those of us who want the promise, but can we can we seek Jesus? Can we can we seek His face? Can we seek Him in every part of our lives? You want the marriage, but do you want it without Jesus? Or do you want it with the law? You, you, you want to get that degree. Do you want that degree without Jesus? Or do you want it with the law? You, 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 want, you want all these things in your life. You want the promises of God. But do you really want that without the presence of God? I will take Jesus over everything, any day. And even this time where I feel tired and I'm, I'm, I'm mentally drained. I am. Um, I don't know what it is. I think I'm just tired. I've been going hard for the last month and I've been trying to catch up on things and um, I'm trying to move into some things. And then of course, add to that, you know, sleep is a commodity right now, you know, with our beautiful daughter. And so um, it was this morning as I was sitting on the couch and I'm putting baby girl back to sleep. And I, I, I prayed and I said to God, I'm tired. Yeah. Yeah, I'm tired. And yet... There I was in my fatigue, enjoying the presence of God. And God was saying, just rest in me. I didn't want to take it until this moment. I didn't want to. I'm just going to be real with you. I'm, I'm, I'm convicted of that, that. Have I been seeking Jesus? So I almost didn't come today for the read and rant. I almost didn't. I was, I was literally just minutes before wrestling with whether or not I would come. And now I'm beginning to realize that God is ministering to me as I am ministering to you. And what God is convicting me of is just like Moses, God's promises are yes and amen. They never return to him void. But just know the promise with Jesus is always better. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Father, I just thank you that you've, Lord, you speak every day. You're always speaking. Lord, we leave these five books, this part of the Bible, Lord, profoundly encouraged to know, Lord, that you are 
You are writing the story of humanity. But we're just, we're seeing that you have, you have written and are writing. You have written the story of humanity. <laughs> we're so grateful for that. Father, we bless your name and all that we do and everything that we uh, seek to accomplish, Father. I just pray, Lord, that we be convicted not to seek it without your presence, Lord God. I just pray Lord, that we would seek your presence in all things, Lord, that we would fight the good fight, but that we would also, Lord, submit to your will to know, Lord, that it's your will over ours. It's your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, as we continue the story that you have written and are writing in our hearts, Father, I pray that you would continue to reveal your message, reveal your truth, Lord, as we begin to read through Joshua, reveal your truth to us, Lord. When we return on Monday, let us be encouraged to know, Lord, that you have already overcome and we get to be privileged partakers of it. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>